Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. As a new North Carolina General Assembly returns to Raleigh this week without a Republican supermajority for the first time since 2012, we're joined today on the show by three respected journalists to discuss what to expect in 2019 in terms of education policy and how the new balance of power might shape the debates and the key issues. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Last year, State Superintendent Mark Johnson unveiled a newly designed school report card to help parents better understand the performance of their local public schools. Now the new report cards due out this past month are being delayed possibly for two to three months. A DPI spokesman cited the impact of Hurricane Florence for the problem. Most opt-in schools like magnets and charters are taking applications now through the end of January before the latest info will be released. A teacher support program created by Alamance Burlington Schools is getting some statewide attention thanks to its now most famous alumni, North Carolina's current Teacher of the Year, Freebird McKinney. The program is called the Teacher Leadership Academy and it's a partnership among the schools, Impact Alamance, Elon University, Alamance Community College, and the Chamber of Commerce. The program provides nine months of professional development for 50 Alamance Burlington teachers each year who meet at sites across the county to gain a better understanding of the community's needs, including business. Freebird McKinney, who you see there, wants to see the program expand statewide. Finally, a new report says the public policy priority in early childhood education should be on improving the quality of the programs, not just on increasing participation. Researchers from Harvard University found that while 75% of children under five are in some kind of early education setting because parents need childcare support, only two in 10 children participate in the kind of program that will actually give them a boost as they enter school. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read about more of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about the new look of the General Assembly and what it might mean for education. And joining us first is Rob Christensen. Rob is the former chief political writer, reporter, columnist for the venerable News and Observer here in Raleigh. You recently retired from the News and Observer after covering politics in North Carolina for 45 years. And, and I read every governor since Terry Sanford and every senator since Sam Irvin. So, Rob, welcome to Education Matters. Glad to be here. Thanks so much. All right, well, my first question is I had Peter Hans, um, the president of the community college system, on uh, last week. And um, now, understandably, he had a, more, uh, a very cautious answer, and you may have one as well. But I was, I, I was curious, because I've been in my role at the Public School Forum for five years, and there was a panel that I attended back when I first started, and you had all the education leaders of North Carolina together. And it was Tom Ross, the UNC president. You had Scott Rawls, the head of community colleges. You had June Atkinson. And you had Hope Williams from the independent colleges. Well, three of those four are gone now, and actually two of those positions have been now replaced twice, uh, the UNC system with, with Margaret Spellin's departure and now with Peter coming in. So I guess from your perspective, you've been watching the, the politics and the changes like this. I mean, what is going on with, with these kinds of changes? Is, it, is this good? Is it bad? Is it too early to tell? Is it expected? What do you think? Well, I think it reflects uh, the political turbulence of the area. Of the era. Uh, 
we have not only two-party government, but we have a very polarized situation. And so when you have turnover of, uh, in, in the University of North Carolina presidency, for example, that was uh, the first one when Tom Ross went. It was uh, Republicans coming in with the new Board of Governors and replacing the Republican establishment, replacing the Democratic establishment, essentially. But you also have factions within the Republican Party. And so, you know, not, not everybody uh, uh, wanted the, uh, the outgoing uh, 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 president, uh, Margaret Spellings. And, uh, and I think she felt like she didn't have the, the full support of everybody, uh, of all factions within the party. And the, the, the Republican Party is not monolithic any more than the Democratic Party is. So uh, part of that is a reflection of the times. Uh, we had the turnover in superintendent public instruction. The Republicans have been doing better in these council state races, statewide races. Uh, they've been getting higher and higher percentages as, as the state has divided. The thing to think about all this is that North Carolina is, uh, and this is demonstrably true, that it is one of the most closely divided states in the country, and its politics are some of the roughest and some of the most uh, uh, divided. And so uh, that's reflecting now on who... Now who, or historically? Now, particularly. Now. Yeah, okay. now in the last in a couple of decades, and it's getting worse. And so because it's such a closely divided state, and there's very few states in the country that are as closely divided as North Carolina, you might say Ohio or Florida or something like that, uh, you're going to have this kind of... Uh, 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 switching and changes in, in, in education leadership. Question your answer ask is, is it good for North Carolina? Probably not. It's good to have new ideas come in. It's good to have Republican participation in this, but this kind of partisan wrangling is not necessarily good. Right. Um, so this, the General Assembly will be um, convening this week, I mean, just briefly, and then before they really get down to work. Uh, they're coming in now, Republicans, for the first time without their supermajority, um, basically not an, uh, an automatic veto override if they wanted to. I think the last time that happened, somewhat similar, was when uh, was Governor Beth Perdue's final two years in office, which although I think the dynamics are a little different now than they were then. And then before that, Jim Martin, um, actually uh, for, for eight years, we, and we chatted about that before we started. So I guess tell me a little bit about what that historically looks like and do you think some of those historical uh, patterns will, will be there this time? So, first of all, it makes me uh, somewhat pessimistic about uh, major education reforms this session. Uh, so, if I could just step back a little bit, I mean, the story of North Carolina politics over the last hundred or so years has been catch-up. I mean, the state was very poor, very agriculture and industrialized and so forth, but has never, ever caught up with the rest of the country in, educa in education spending. There have been times when we've done better than other times, but it's catch-up. And so when we've had major uh, uh, crusades to, to improve education, it has required uh, bipartisan support, uh, or if the Democrats were just in control, really strong Democratic support. Uh, and and but more than that, it is uh, for people who who've been who you can point to as particularly good leaders in education, like former Governor Jim Hunt. Uh, they were able to get a broad coalition, included the business leadership of the community, some of the religious leadership of the of, of the state, and, and just all across the board. And he's and he was able to reach out. So he got smart start started when there was when the House was. Uh, under Republican control, and he did this by a you know, personal touch by lobbying. Uh, he went to Harold Brubaker was the speaker back in the 1990s, the Republic, first Republican speaker, and he went and visited him on his cattle farm in in, in uh, I guess it was Randolph County, and so uh, it's possible to do to do this, but to, to make this kind of cross party 
uh, coalition, but that was the 90s and is now a much polarized, uh, polarized environment. Plus, working across party lines is even more difficult because there's a lot more skepticism in the Republican ranks now uh, about, about public education. Now, uh, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush as there are a lot of very good supporters of public education among Republicans, but there's also a certain amount of skepticism, and we've seen that from everything from calling them government schools to uh, support for, uh, for homeschooling or for charter schools and everything. And so it's hard to build up that kind of uh, broad bipartisan uh, support for a, for a coalition to make a really substantial jump ahead in education given the current political environment, divided government, and Republicans somewhat skeptical of public education. Yeah, and the, and the notion of it being a public good, right? I mean, that's, I mean, do you think, I mean, because uh, I, I guess growing up here in North Carolina, to me, education, we may have been playing catch up, but it seemed like we were all on the same team playing catch up. Do you think that we, that that, that commitment to the public education for a public good is broken now? Well, so uh, I just finished a book on the Scott family, uh, so called the Branchhead Boys, uh, and which is coming out in May. Coming out in May. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Okay. And and I and Bob Scott, uh, uh, this was he, he was governor. Uh, he was elected 1968, 68, 72. He he was there when schools were truly integrated. They were just marginally integrated before then, but they really integrated during uh, uh, during his time. And he commented and worried. Uh, both publicly and in, and in a diary he kept about whether this was breaking broad public support for public education, because that was during that period you had a tremendous number of private schools that were were created. Right. So it's not it's not all about school integration, although that's part of the thing. But it's it's about uh, the, uh, whether you know the right values are being taught in schools and political correctness and all that sort of thing. But there, I think it's I think it's unquestionably true that. That the support for public education is not quite what it was a generation ago. Um, just as, as we as we wrap up, you had a great column um, uh, I think back in December about top ten things you learned covering politics. And what you mentioned, you, you just touched on a couple of them. You mentioned about cutting taxes don't work because you said it undercuts or the ability to fund schools. You also mentioned the university system. You also mentioned rural. North Carolina, which is something that uh, you know, we're beginning to talk about more at our organization. Um, so, sort of what the sort of what are what do you see about what's needed in, in rural North Carolina? So, uh, so rural North Carolina was always behind the metropolitan areas, but the divide seems to be growing, and so the rural area, rural North Carolina, is contracting in terms of population, while the, the the metropolitan areas are growing, and they're falling further and further behind. The gaps growing. So it's it's all it's urban rural, but it's also white collar, blue collar. So, you know, uh, so I think uh, we need to think about, uh, uh, not in education, we tend to focus most of our attention on the university system because it's been a driver in Research Triangle Park or in the public schools. But we also have to think about things like community colleges, where, uh, which really reach a tremendous number of, of people and non-traditional students. Uh, and we also have to think about other ways that, uh, that we haven't put as much emphasis on as we might have or some other states have like uh, like programs that train people right in high school so they have it in a particular skill that those who are not interested in going off to college who, who can learn a skill and, and come right out of high school and 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 get a get a good job uh, there's there's more paths to success than just college and I'm a big supporter of college right. but we have to be realized that not every college is not for everybody 
and there's things like internships and apprenticeships right. and that sort of thing. Uh, well, that's a, we are unfortunately out of time. Lots of great conversation, though. You, you said you weren't an education expert, so I think you've got a lot of good thoughts. So, Rob, look, thanks for all your insights and for your coverage these last decades. I'm I'm glad that you're still out and writing. So we'll we'll be we'll plug your book on our website. <laughs> okay. So, thanks, Rob. Great. When we come back, we'll be joined by Liz Schlemmer from WUNC and Billy Ball from NC Policy Watch. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Wake County Schools is the largest school district in North Carolina with more than 162,000 students. What is the state's smallest district with just 600 students? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer B, Hyde County? Hyde County near the Outer Banks in Eastern North Carolina is our state's smallest school district with just 607 students. We're going to continue our discussion now about the new General Assembly with two journalists who have been focused on General Assembly and education issues for several years here in North Carolina. Liz Schlemmer, our friend, is making a return visit to the show, our education policy reporter at WUNC Radio. Next to her is Billy Ball. Billy is the managing editor of NC Policy Watch, which is a recently a new role for you after exclusively covering education for the last few years. So uh, welcome both of you to Education Matters. Um, so as you start talking to Rob and use it, well, you know, because you're going to be down there this week, I'm sure, both of you and, and the State Board of Education this week, General Assembly's back. Um, and they will convene in earnest later this month. Both of you have covered this in the last few years, and I'm going to ask a similar question that I asked Rob. How different do you think, and I'll start with you, Liz, how different do you think things will be this session versus previous years with the balance of power a little bit different? Well, I posed that question to one Republican lawmaker who said, well, I think we're going to see much of the same in terms of policies, but you know, we're going to see a lot of different players in this session. There were a lot of education leaders, Republicans, who are not coming back. We think of people like Representative Dollar and Senator Lee who were chairing education committees um, or had their hands in the budget and will not be here this session. We're replaced by Democratic representatives. And so that, you know, there's going to be some changes in leadership there. And then there are also a number of Democratic representatives who are coming in who campaigned on really big education platforms. But then the question is, will they receive seats on committees? Will they be able to have any play and any power in enacting some of the things that they ran on. Right, and, and, I, and I mean, I should point out, and I think our viewers know this, I, the supermajority is the only thing that changed. I mean, Republicans are still firmly in control, firmly in the majority. There's, I mean, the speaker, the, the Senate president, the committee chairs, the committee assignments, all those things. So, Billy, what about, I guess, same question for you. What do you think? I mean, you know, we're going to, uh, is this going to be a, we're going to see a, a, a rebirth of uh, bipartisan cooperation um, at the General Assembly? That would be something to see. I, I, don't, I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. But, uh, you know, Liz makes some great points about, about new leadership coming in and, and how we see these committees shake out. I think that'll be really interesting to see. But also, uh, particularly with the, with the Republicans' loss of the veto-proof majority, one of the most obvious things we're going to see is some sort of negotiation back and forth when it comes to the budget. And as far as areas where the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, and the Republican-controlled legislature have been very far apart, education has to be at, near, at or near the top of the list. 
Um, so I think we're going to see some, some, some back and forth about teacher pay, uh, some talk about vouchers um, and other school choice measures that, that when you saw the governor's budget in recent years and you saw the legislature's budget, they were very, very different. In, in past years, the governor's budget, you could argue as soon as it came out, uh, to be quite honest, was dead on arrival. Right. Now you're going to have to start in some way looking at the governor's budget and seeing which of these ideas seems like they're going to make it to the finished project, product from the legislature. Right. Uh, Liz, what are you looking at specifically? What are you, any, any issues kind of on your, um, your cheat sheet to say, all right, I'm going to see where this thing is? Well, there are a number of issues that were discussed last session that didn't come up with a lot of successful legislation, things like school safety. There was a school safety committee and there was more funding put in for school resource officers, but not as much for mental health support or for more regulation of those school resource officers, things like requiring training for them. So we might see more school safety measures again. And then also in, in finance, there was an education finance reform committee that has been extended to this year. And that's to look at not how much schools are funded, but how they're funded and potentially giving them more flexibility. That's something that's going to continue in discussion and potentially could create legislation this session. House Bill 514 was the uh, bill um, actually introduced by Bill Brawley, who's mm -hmm. not the one that's not returning, but it was the one that created um, potential for municipal charter schools, a brand new kind of charter in North mm -hmm. Carolina run by towns for their town residents. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think, do you think that that's something, you've written about it, um, mm -hmm. do you think this is something that we could expect to see other towns follow suit? Do you think there's gonna be more effort to try to, I don't know, make that to be the never happen or maybe sort of box it in? What do you think? You know, I think uh, after that bill was passed uh, some months back, uh, there was probably a fair amount of skepticism about whether we would actually see some of these schools follow in kind of the mold that these Charlotte suburbs were looking at. But, you know, one of the technical corrections bill changes that we saw some weeks ago involved allowing these schools outside of Charlotte to to get involved in those uh, state benefits that were not going to be available to the teachers in these schools. So I think it's much more likely today than it was a few weeks ago. I think that that was going to be a major sticking point. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's very likely we start seeing some, some local bills uh, along that along that path and it'll be interesting to see where where they show up. Obviously this is a very urban district in, in Charlotte and the, the suburbs. You know, could we see something like that in Wake County? Could, right. could we see something? Which would be like a more obvious sort of the next year, like you said, it's got to be a place where there's a lot of charters already, mm -hmm. or is mm -hmm. a, or an appetite for it. So, mm -hmm. um, now this was a local bill. You and I were chatting before we got started. Uh, local bills, if they are truly local bills, which is again that definition gets stretched a little bit in these days, um, don't have to go to the governor for a signature, so he can't veto them. Do you think this is something that could yeah. be more common? Well, it's one hypothesis that might be floating around. You know, it's it's one way that Republicans could get around the the veto power that Governor Cooper now has. So we could see more local bills uh, like that with the town charter school. And you know, on the flip side, we might also see a little bit more bipartisanship in in some specific areas and some bills here and there. Um, but like Billy was saying, we might be surprised if that's in 
in big strokes. Right. Let me, um, I'll mention a specific piece of legislation. We haven't, obviously they haven't even started yet, but uh, Speaker Tim Moore uh, floated the idea just a few weeks ago, right, I think right around Christmas, um, about a new um, um, bond bill, a statewide bond to put on the ballot in 2020, about 1.9 billion, 1.3 for schools. Now, he put out the press release, I think Superintendent Johnson was in it. Mm -hmm. Noticeably absent was Senator Phil Berger, which if you've been following politics in the General Assembly, if Phil Berger and the Senate's not on board, mm -hmm. I mean, do you think those dynamics have changed or is this kind of like, well, we'll see? There's been a lot of dialogue behind the scenes about whether or not those dynamics have changed because it's been no secret that in the House over the last couple of years, there has been some broad support for, for seeing a statewide school bond, which I'll add, we haven't seen a statewide school bond for K-12 education since 1996. Um, it's, it, it's been a, a good long while since this has come before the voters, and, and in, we had a legislative committee a couple of years ago discuss that need of, of $8 billion was the figure they put on it. We figure it's probably even higher today. So, you know, obviously there's a great deal of need that the schools are, the schools are putting out there. At the same time, we weren't seeing support in the Senate and, and from Senator Phil Berger's office. You know, my first reaction to hearing the House Speaker come out and, and, and proclaim this was that we have to imagine that either, either he has more support in the Senate than he had before or, or Phil Berger's on board with this. We haven't heard anything like that from Phil Berger. So perhaps there's a change in, 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 in the, in the uh, voting in the Senate. Obviously, there'll be new new members coming on board. So uh, I'm guessing the House Speaker did not do this just willy-nilly. I right. think there was a, a change. Real, uh, real quickly, last word from you, Liz. The uh, long session means this is the two-year budget. This will be the 2020 election budget. Do you expect mm -hmm. to see some sort of markers placed, like where we stand on certain things? I think certainly in teacher pay. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a really big topic. And a key word in there is hitting the national average. I think right. that's something that Democrats are going to be really pushing for. And with this budget and with things like the bond, those are all potential campaign issues right, for 2020. Well, we are that. You're right. Well, we'll definitely teacher pay is always there, right? So <laughs> good discussion. Thanks you both for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll keep watching these things as we go on. Thank you. After the break, this week's final word. Before the holidays, North Carolina House Speaker Tim Moore announced plans to introduce legislation for a statewide school bond, we were just talking about that with our reporters, that would go before voters in November 2020. Of the proposed $1.9 billion, $1.3 billion would go to K-12 public schools. Now, of course, any new investment is welcome. The Department of Public Instruction says the statewide school construction and renovation needs top $8 billion, and that was before Hurricane Florence. But let's go back to the proposal by Speaker Moore. If it sounds familiar, it's because there were bills in both the Senate and the House in 2017 and 2018 with bipartisan support to put a $2 billion bond before voters last November. Legislative leaders refused to bring the bills forward. Now why, no one knows for sure. Certainly with six constitutional amendments presented in November, it wasn't concerned about the length of the ballot. But the upshot is the best hope now for a big infusion of badly needed funds for schools is two years away. 
Last week, one of our teacher friends, Justin Parmenter from Charlotte, posted this video on social media from his classroom during one of the many recent rainy days here. This is what our students and teachers are dealing with. And this is inside an actual building. Uh, this is not one of the 5,500 mobile classrooms that are in use across the state. We should have already acted on this, and the General Assembly can still help local schools without waiting for a bond bill in 2020. Legislators on both sides of the aisle ran in November touting their support for public schools. We'll be watching to see if they meant it. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.